Hello there, boys and girls. Welcome back to the CG in 60 podcast, where we try to always aim to get things done in 60 minutes and fail spectacularly every single time. My name's Des, joined by Amurta, as always, and Fresh is off doing tax things. I don't know, helping people dodge tax. It's kind of what his job is, so he's off doing that. But that means we've been able to bring in two people with us today. We have got both Anarchic and Gorgona with us from Kavana Gaming. Of course, the team that was recently promoted into EUL after beating our M&M. And I guarantee you there's less tears of joy on here today. But maybe more tears of sadness will follow at some point based on what gets said. I guess first and foremost, guys, how are you all doing? I'll come to you guys first, because screw a murder, Anarchic Gorgona. How are you both doing? No, thanks. No worries, mate. Yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, we're doing great. Good stuff, good stuff. And now Steph will ask you now that they've answered. How are you doing, mate? Doing all right, mate. I'm just concerned that Gorgona's got a couple of heavies outside his house, like, just wandering <laughs> past that door. <laughs> Honestly, like, I saw it when he said, I'm back in a minute, and I was watching his camera and giving everyone a live narration of what was going on, Gorgona, and it looked like you were standing as a bodyguard in front of your bedroom door as your cat and, like, two or three people went through, as if you were, like, saying, no one's allowed to come into my bedroom. Yeah, that was to my parents, you know? I see. Just, just saying in my... a nice way. <laughs> yeah. My bedroom, I mean, not allowed. probably... Like, probably in a couple of minutes, you'll see the killer cat come back because she just doesn't leave me alone. Yeah, you show, show now everyone else can see it. It's not just me that can see. Show Steph your arm again, actually, so you can see where your cats had a go at you the other day. Apparently, his cat wants to kill him regularly. So get, get the webcam again and show him your arm where you've been scratched. See the little red, little big red line across it? It's had a right go on in the other day oh, for no reason. That's uh, not ideal. No? Uh, when it attacked your forehead, it was way better. That was a proper scratch. <laughs> Yeah, so like uh, one of the times, you know, was picking up my cat just to, you know, like see her and she, the line like, she, she jumped on my head and put all of her fucking nails in my forehead. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I think you want to get that cat checked out, mate. Des, were you shooting an Enter Shikari video before we started this? By I wasn't, chance, mate. So I knew this was going to get mentioned, right? It's another one of my terrible life choices in terms of fashion. Uh, I've gone from science. My hair's grown out a lot. So I started wearing these now at the time just to keep it out of my face. And it's actually really comfortable. I'm really enjoying it. And I know everyone it else is sat. And also, it really yeah. highlights my eyebrows. They are indeed back. So fuck all of you at home that are like, eyebrowless prick. <laughs> they are indeed back, I can confirm. They exist once again. I'm not left completely without eyebrows. So we'll take that much. They look like those 80s sports models that like... Uh advertise fitness products you know yeah i need to get a couple of the bottles like the bottles that wrap around your hand you can just hold and go running all that kind of shite yeah that's the next game plan now we'll see how we do i'll see if someone wants to sponsor me with some stupid headband at some point god knows how about if kavana sent me one i'll wear it with the kavana branding on that'd be beautiful but don't worry it's not going on broadcast at any point anyway today's it's not about me it's not about the stupid live choices that i make such as wearing this it's more about you guys and the journey that you've made so far and I think where I really want to start, and everyone be quite keen to hear, especially from you, Anarchic, we were speaking a little bit before the show as well, and you were all the way back in, what, Wind and Rain, then we had Burning Foxes kind of in the middle, then Kavana's become a thing where you came across Gorgona, so on and so forth. Like, talk to us about that kind of, the, that early journey kind of pre-Kavana Gaming, like, what was going on then, what led to you becoming on Kavana Gaming, and then leading onto the path that we now know? Yeah, so, it kind of all started with me and Grizzly. Uh, Nath, I'm going to call him throughout this probably, but we came from Xbox together and we know each other from like secondary school and that was I think early 2019, January sometime, something like that and we joined the team with uh, Ride, who was our coach for Kawana during Yukin season one. Then during that time we played on that for I think like nine months, stuck in T4, not really doing too much. We made a couple of changes which was I think at the time it was only Omos that was uh, in the team with me and Nath. 
then we came seventh in our first prem season with war i remember a few yeah that was with uh bashed as well actually and then i think we got two points maybe three points they were all draws and yeah it wasn't looking too great we played the season with a sub pretty much every game we had a couple of players that were there for a few games but it wasn't going well at all mm. and then I after that the yeah we had iv for a couple of games and then this is kind of when the roster of Kawana game kind of started to form, still under war. And then they brought me and they made you leak. You're welcome. Yeah. And then we decided <laughs> to get a, the only Bulgarian player I know to come and join the team. That is a Even great though, point, uh, actually. I've never come across another Bulgarian player now, I think about it. I think yeah, I played... They were fucking all outside his house trying to kill him, I think. We're <laughs> <laughs> trying to take the spot. <laughs> I got, uh, I got to ask actually, yeah. Gorgona. How one? How did you come across Gorgona? And two, do you regret the decision to this day of bringing him on board? Uh, surprisingly, it was so. Omos and Gorgona teamed on Fabian's academy team. Ah, and, uh, I see. Then we were looking for a player, and then Omos suggested him. And the first thing he said was, "Oh, Gorg's a good player. He's really toxic, though. So I don't know if we should uh, bring him into the team." Uh, he strikes me as that. Drin yeah, during the first few months, definitely was a bit toxic, but, you know, that's when we actually started to look like a good team. And we played, like, I think it was CL qualifiers. That didn't go too well. And then Bash decided to leave. And then that's when we got Rendy in. And that was, like, the first sort of iteration of uh, Kawana when mm. we was on the Burning Foxes. Mm. And you brought in Gorgon, like you say. From, I, mean, I remember actually when you guys qualified, and um, I think it was Fabian tweeted out, didn't he, Gorgon? And you replied to him, and I loved it. And it was the, well, I can't remember the exact line that was said, but there was something about being toxic, and I can't remember if you were saying he was toxic, and I was like, both of these are right, or if like he was saying he was toxic. And I was saying that I was toxic, and you and Pingu got both confused. Yeah, we were just like it could have been the other way around, because it's the sort of thing that Fabian normally would have said about himself. Um, but talk, talk a little bit about that, because when I think back to teams like Fabian's Academy, I think of like Sleepy as well, which Fresh was on with uh, kicks and stuff, where you know, Fresh learned a lot of the stuff that he knows, for example. What was your experience of being on that kind of team, or that obviously Academy team, I suppose, in a way, as opposed to a more mainstream team like Kavana? Like, what did you learn on there that you thought might be different to what you'd expect in a normal team? Just out of curiosity. Well, it started off, but uh, first I was trialing for Sleepy, and... You know, uh, I don't know if you remember, but Fabian put out a tweet that said, oh, so Kickstarter's starting a team. I'm going to start my own and it's going to be better. <laughs> so I was like, might as well try out for his as well. You know, he's played for G2. It could be something like G2 Academy. And, you know, I made the trials. You know, like, till this day, I feel like uh, staying with Kickstarter would have been actually a better decision because he actually spent more time with his players. You know, Fabian built great fundamentals, but he wasn't really there because, you know, that was kind of the time where G2 started crumbling. He had bigger issues than his garbage tier 4 team that he needs to worry about. Very fair, yeah. I mean, fair enough, it gives you a bit of banter and a bit of back and forth with Fabian on Twitter and got you to where you are today. Not really too many complaints about that, now yeah. you're in EUL, right? And talk us through a little bit about that. I know that Sloss in the chat, for example, as well, and now I know he'll be gleaming at the thought of us discussing him for more than five seconds at once. Obviously, it came to a spot where you picked him up in the middle of the year. Why Sloth? Why the change then? Because I remember Sloth back when he was on Game of Legion in Nordic, for example. He was a fucking monkey. If there was a window, he was out it. If there was a door, yeah. he'd run through it. 
He was that kind of player. So why Sloth on this team? So basically, we, we made the decision kind of after SI. I don't know if you remember, that was basically where the roster mania began about like super teams where you wouldn't need an IGO, just bring Fragus. So like we decided, you know, fuck it. We don't need an IGO, bring Slot in. Q drop <laughs> 20 kills and <laughs> we're going to make it work. <laughs> I always heard as well, like he, um, I think on Game of Legion, I think it was Jess who told me this when she watched them at a LAN or something like that. I think she was working there in Benelux or something. I can't remember. Um, but she said that she so watched there. Be, it? it might have been. But she said that she thought Sloth was a really good IGL. And for the longest time, she thought he was the IGL for Kavana as well. And said, so I was like, I'm pretty sure he's not these days. He's just the monkey. So you brought him in expecting, oh, we don't need an IGL. He's obviously still not the IGL. But was that at all part of the conversation when you brought him in or...? No, he's never been on IGO. Like, I literally DM'd him like uh, it was May last year with a meme saying, I'm going to pay you 250 to pay to play Yashin Jaeger. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, and I'm sure he's having a wonderful time. I mean, he seems to be having a pretty fine time doing just that, to be fair to him, so fair <laughs> enough. And what I've always loved about when I watched you boys, I remember when I spoke to you first, Gorgonor, actually, it was um, after watching you guys play, I think, on Coastline, and seeing Sloth be, like, pushing through lobby, being hyper-aggressive, trying to peek everything... You were on book, almost like doing really calculated things, like opening certain walls, holding certain angles, being really cautious about it. And I thought, you've got an entry over here that's doing the things that he does, that Sloth does. And then there's you being a lot more kind of calculated on the other side of the map. And it almost felt like, in a way, you balance each other out. And rather than you answering this, Anarchic, I'm keen to get your perspective on what you think is the main differences between him and Sloth. Maybe not just in terms of personality, but um, also their playstyle. Yeah, I mean, there's a few differences. I think... For a lot of it, we just put Sloth in a door and expect him to do something, you know? Like, here's a drone, go do something, whereas we kind of... I I, I'm going to say it like this, and Sloth's going to hate it, but we kind of trust Gorg more to use his brain and actually be able to <laughs> use a bit of utility and you know, actually be like, oh, okay, there's a guy here. Oh, I can uh, catch him off guard by doing this, whereas Sloth is like, okay, here's a guy, peek him, kill him. I think that's probably the main difference. And like, we always see Gorg playing like a, a Monty or a Ying or some form of meta instead of just, here's a gun, go kill. Even though Gorg can do that as well, it's kind of like we need to balance it out because we can't lose two people straight off the bat. You know, we need to have mm. a bit of risk and then a bit of, okay, here's what we can fall back onto to be able to win that round. Awesome. And talk about Yak as well, because obviously he was the big change that you made after he spent some time on Fierce. And, um, the one thing I've always observed about Yak, and I've always heard that he's a really good IGL, and of course on the outside we don't really get to see that. Unless you're involved in a team, unless you hear from the players themselves, you don't really get that idea as to whether or not someone is a good IGL. Like, what did he bring to the team that was missing that you were trying to seek in the first place when you brought him on board? Um, well, when we first brought him on board, that was when we decided to drop Rendy and try and look for a, a proper IGL. Before that, I was IGL in, and it was kind of okay, this round it was really good, the next round it's non-existent. So it's kind of like we need to find someone that was able to do it consistently. And I think Gorg will definitely agree that the first time we trialled Kayak, like the first scrim, after the scrim we turned around and said, yeah, this is the guy we want. At the po that point, Kayak wasn't amazing at IGLN, that he still had to learn. But like we could tell instantly this is what we needed in our team. And then during CL, we've just gotten better and better. And then in turn, we've gotten better from that as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty spot you uh, We tried Kayak at the same time, actually. Like, if, well, it might have been just before you guys tried him. And we very nearly picked him up, but we chose Pack instead. Pack was just the, the better option at the time. Was good at dealing with, like, uh, utility clearing and stuff like that, which we thought would be kind of more important. But Kayak always had really nice, fresh ideas, so it's good to see him playing really good.
Mm. Yeah, yeah, if anything, See. you got us to EUL by not picking him up. Yeah. Yeah, Steph. See, like, the, the thing with, <laughs> sorry. Go on, go. The thing with Kayak was um, the, like, he brings a full package, you know, doesn't only edge you, he only put, he puts up numbers as well. Like, you see him on all these support operators just fragging his mind off. Like, a lot of these... Uh, Challenger League games, you league relegation matches. Like he was up there with the fraggers, if not doing better than yeah, us. Yeah, he did really good. And that's him playing Kate. You know, <laughs> like where have you seen a Kate fragger? It's true. Back in the TCSG meta, <laughs> back when it was kind of the go-to for a yeah. while. But um, okay, talk a little bit about the whole Eminem thing as well, because look, let's let's be real. We all know you guys got done a little bit dirty in Ukim, right? We all know that, and we can all be very honest about it. It wasn't really the best time. You guys had to go in through open quals. You obviously got to a spot where you then are kind of always stacking up against Eminem, where the way I always described it was Eminem were the golden child. Like, everyone was like, oh, they're the UK's best team. They're going to make EUL. Like, no question. They're top three guaranteed. And then Kavana are this maybe team. And I, I think from week one, I called you a dark horse, and I was like, there's just no way, seeing how they played in Yukin and got air quotes gatekept by Na'Vi, that they aren't a team you could be talking about at the same time. And you came through and surprised everyone. What's the relationship like with Eminem? Are you kind of rivals with each other? Do you get on well with the boys? Like, what's that like in the team? I mean, I think we're fine with each other. We are definitely rivals as from, from Yukin all the way to the, the CL finals for the EUL spot. We've constantly have been having close games. I think mm. during CL it was a draw the first time. And then before that, I think we faced them during the group stages of Yukon, and then we didn't face them in the final. So it's kind of like we've always been close, always been like put up against each other. And it's kind of like fitting, I guess, that it would be us two in the final of CL to see who gets that spot. Because I mean, mm. most of us in the team wanted Eminem to actually beat Rogue to be honest, and then have like three UK teams in EU EUL. But yeah, that'd have been unfortunately, cool. that didn't happen. So, yeah. Better next time, I guess, right? From, from like an outsider's perspective, like the the like uh, finals of the Challenger League, I was like a little bit concerned that like Rogue might not make it. But actually, like Rogue have like worked really, really, really fucking hard for the last few mm. months. And uh, I think they just had like a couple of little problems beforehand, but they fixed them. And they came out of that looking like a completely different team, looking like the team they should have looked like, you know. So yeah. uh, I'm I'm kind of glad in a way that um, Eminem didn't make it. Admittedly, like, I don't know, for me, I was indifferent whether it was Kavana or Eminem that came up. Um, I liked both teams, so it was no real big deal. But in terms of like a team who I would uh, like not want to play against i think that obviously rogue is the team that like every eu league team hoped would not make it up you know like they have a lot more experience and that kind of thing mm. but um yeah ultimately like it's i think the challenger league this time was interesting but uh, i'm gonna be a little bit controversial but I, I fucking hate the the national league system where you go from like national league into cl because i feel like the actual challenger league itself was like interesting and there were some great teams, but there were some completely fucking dog yeah. shit teams as well. Like, yeah, it was tragic. Like, and like we can we can pretend that everyone was on a level playing field or that Challenger well, League was fuck. really strong, but fuck it, it wasn't. It was shit. Yeah, like, no. mm. there was, was four or five good teams. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, Thanks. you have to think that there's teams like Makers who didn't make it, and then they made one roster change and made fucking invite. You know, like hello. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah. you know, that's a different topic, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, so I fought for losing to Tempera. We'd have, we'd have bashed them out and got uh, SI. Yeah, you said for the longest time that Tempera were kind of one of your crux teams, you felt at least as well. They are quite yeah, wild. No, I, I love Tempera, but I fucking hate Tempera, mate. That is what it is. <laughs> like, I love the guys. Strange. I like the way they play, but they're fucking annoying to play against. Like, it's one of those things. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, sure. I, don't, know, I don't know if you watched like a UK game against M&M the other day, but that was like yeah. the worst Tempera, you know? Is that the what? Worst what, Tempera? Playstyle-wise, you mean? Yeah. Oh, it's like saying worse than Temporal. Worse as in, than, like, annoying to yeah, play against. Annoying to play oh, against. Yeah. Right, right. I see. Yeah. Fair enough. They had one of the rounds. They just ledge big window on Oregon. Three people vote in, and, like, no one knows what's happened. <laughs> well, I think, that, like, yeah. getting a little bit off topic, but, like, the, the invite qualifiers were interesting this time. They felt like a lot of teams kind of didn't take some of the tier three teams all that seriously. But we took every team seriously that we played against. Like we did some counter work for every team, and uh, like we'd obviously been going for a little bit of a, a little rough patch before then. Like we were struggling a little bit, and everyone was getting a bit frustrated. And it was because we kind of had nothing really to play for. Then we found out we had the invite qualifiers, so we were like hyped, obviously, for that, and we started playing a much better game. But the um, I felt like a lot of the EU League teams really struggled against a lot of the tier three teams because they were just playing in a different way. EU League is very much like, I don't know, I don't want to say like there's one or two ways to play, but it's a little bit like that right now. There's like not that much variety and you play against some of these tier three teams and they just do wild shit, like completely yeah. random stuff that you just never predict. And it makes it like quite difficult. Like we did a lot of like counter work, especially against uh, makers because we, we knew obviously that they've been playing really good. Um, I don't really know how much like counter work other teams did, but it came like full circle. You know, like when we played against Tempera, they didn't get to play for like five, six, uh, like seven days or something, and they like could just sit and watch us play and watch everything we did and counter us. So I always felt like that that system this time, where like the top two ended up like kind of skipping all the qualifiers, was kind of a bit bullshit. Like we felt a little bit hard, hard done by actually. To be fair, after that. Um, but then at the same time, makers beat everyone and had no days off. So is what is can't really uh, can't really complain too much. Mm. I mean, you guys obviously jumped into that a little bit as well, didn't you, with the quals? And it fell a little bit shorter on the way there. But I guess for you guys, your your big focus was always going to be on EUL for longevity, right? Yeah, I mean, for well, the, we lost against uh, Chaos, right? And for the yeah. qualifiers, we were basically. Just saying, we're not going to run any strats. We're going to kind of do things a little bit different to how we would in practice because, mm. you know, at the end of the day, EUL is way more important for us. Even though invite would be great, we yeah. don't want to risk our spot. And then, yeah, yeah, we like banned our best map against uh, against them because they was going to pick it, and we didn't mm. want to like show that map for uh, before our finals. So then yeah. they took us to like Coastline, which is a map you don't want to play against them. And I mean, they, they don't like the map, though. Us. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that the I... players on it are just, I don't want to face them on Coastline. Well, me personally, I don't want to face them on that. Maybe ah, other yeah. Coastline's like. a map where you got to shoot, that's why. Exactly. <laughs> you know, sloth go kill. And then yeah, fair enough. Uh, that doesn't work, it's a problem. Sloth and Gorg have a wonderful time there, it's maybe a bit less yourself. And uh, yeah, I've got, uh, I've got, 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 I
one. I, I, I was literally question. just about to mention it myself. Yeah. I was going to say it's a great gauge here for how spicy we're going to get. What's your opinion yeah. on the Maker's Rise angle going? Go on. Well, uh, no, can't say much. I feel like, you know, definitely a lot of people, you know, were thinking they were cheating us as well at some point, but, you know, they didn't. So uh, I feel that's, you know, the place that Omerta was talking about where they take constant risks and it ends up paying off, you know, something ridiculous like hitting a window, you know, running in a random doorway and they get two or three kills. And I think that's why they punish a lot of those teams. They were just the best at winning that style and all really predicted it. Like, yeah. had a solution for it. Kind of like playing an APAC team. Yeah. That's what I've heard a couple of people say, actually. I think someone on Reddit said the same. I don't know, Reddit's not a place at all to quote. <laughs> it was someone, it was someone like of air quotes team. notes where they came in and said, oh, you can think of it as like an APAC style thing. But it did spark an interesting question with the current who, uh, sorry, discussion the current who was with. But the question of, you know, what do you expect from them going into SI? Like, if they go there and completely flop, is that just going to start up a whole bonfire again of accusations? Or is it a case of, well, we can see why they've lost. We can see there's still the embers there of what made them so good during quals. Like, what are your guys' thoughts on what you expect from them and what are your reactions if they do do well or they don't do well? I mean, it's best of ones. So I won't be surprised if they make it, like, out and like, maybe, I don't know, top 10. I think they make it through groups. Can... Here's the thing, right? They, they were playing from boot camp and they had a lot of time to, like, dedicate to looking at their opponent. They did some nice counter stuff against us when they played us. But... When they played against us, that was a game they didn't need to win. It didn't really matter. So, I don't know. It's tough because a lot of people were like uh, like saying they were cheating and stuff like this. I mean, I didn't see anything that I was particularly like put off by or anything that I was particularly worried about. But there's a few rounds where like you just see where the drones go and you watch it back and there's no drones and then people just have all the info. So it's one of those, isn't it? I mean, the way the, the game is like that sometimes, sometimes you can just hear where people are. Sometimes you can just, you know, have a feel of like, oh, there's flank coming now or something, let's watch it. And, you know, every now and again, you might have something that, that lines up and looks a bit dodgy. It's really tough because as much as sometimes you can lose to something like that and want to point fingers, I mean, at the end of the day, there is no proof. And ultimately, I know that Turok is a guy who like, absolutely would not stand for anything like that he's at land with them so i trust them to have been playing that properly and when you when you look at like uh like uh gemini as well like he's a nice guy i've known him for ages from when he was at samsung morning stars and like he has always been a like pretty comfortably good support player and i wouldn't be surprised if like they are like 100 percent legit you know I, I certainly wouldn't like ever accuse of of anything more than that you know but at the time Fair when enough. we did play them, I was pretty adamant there was some bullshit going on, to be honest. It's one of those things, isn't it? But I think a lot of I think every team that played them felt that way. <laughs> and yeah, that's being I mean, honest about it, you know? Yeah, they if just take a lot of risks. Quality, like if you're looking for these sus moments, you know, you'll find them. But like if you, you go in any game. A, Yeah. If you go spectating your league team, you just say, Yeah, oh, this guy's insane instead of going for Amkers, oh this guy's cheating, you know? Because you're looking to catch him off guard mm. in the demos and shit. Fair enough, fair enough. And I guess since we are on the subject of SI, uh, I think everyone's very aware and saw yesterday with the fucking... Honestly, this is the thing I hate the most about social media is the constant overhyping. Like, I love everyone that was tweeting about it, like, whether it's Pengu, whether it was uh, Leon, whether it was Jess. But for fuck's sake, 
Like the sensation lies in of it. Like, okay, cool. Maybe if something's going to happen to SI, we yet don't know. The only people who can answer that really is uh, Ubisoft and Live Nation who are involved in the organizing of it. And all the rules that came out yesterday from France about non-EU countries can't enter. One thing that people need to kind of remember, and this is more a statement than it is a question, but I'm keen to get your guys' thoughts as well, is that Ubi have been working with the French government for literally about six months to get this arranged. They've been getting like letters to get people into the country when they're at the border. There is special tests and like things they've got on site. Like I know for a while people were very, very paranoid about the level to which protections are being offered on site. And we've seen tweets from people like Gig saying we're allowed outside our hotel for 30 minutes a day. You are basically in prison the whole time you are there playing SI. Like you are under full quarantine and lockdown the whole time you're there, except for when you are escorted in your little bubble to and from the venue. And that is it. You don't see any of the teams while you're there. You don't mix with casters. You're allowed one coach. It is stupidly limited. So I wouldn't be surprised if although this new news has come out, if it does turn around where the government say, look, we've already gone through all of these exceptions with you. We've given you letters to say that it's okay for you to come. We've made arrangements at our end because I think it's ACEP, which is ACEP, which is like the state-owned event security company there to make sure it's all done to the book. If nothing else, they are handling the majority of the kind of protections there. They're being dead serious about this. I would be incredibly surprised if Ubisoft or the government didn't think about what if uh, lockdown levels increase in future? Then what happens next? If it does get cancelled, I will be incredibly surprised. Very, very, very surprised, given how serious this has been for so many teams over the last six months, saying, look, you need to get us, SI needs to happen. It's what every single team bases their whole year around. But with you guys with that in mind, and I guess I'm, cu I'm curious to know for all three of you, actually, mentality-wise for players and kind of the environment they're put into, I think some players really thrive in an environment where it is about focusing on the game you know sure you're locked up in a hotel room whatever but the focus is going to be on the tournament solely you've got nothing else you can do you can't go and get pissed around paris or anything else like that you are in a hotel room and that's that do you think that gives a massive benefit to teams where they have this kind of forced area where like right you're here to play a tournament and you can't piss about you can't go and do the things that some players will do at some tournaments for example the focus is all on playing do you think that potentially raises the level of play or because it's so restrictive it kind of reduces that and demotivates people no can people warm up I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine they can probably get yeah, to the venue and play a little bit earlier, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, sure <laughs> they'll be able to. I'm very sure yeah, they get to warm up and scrim, yeah, I won't worry too much about all that, that'll still be fine. Yeah, I think, to be fair, it shouldn't make a difference between, well, like, the top teams at least anyway, because you're going there for a specific reason. If you get knocked out or whatever and then you want to go and do stuff, that's fine. But I feel like you should be going there with the mindset of, yeah, we're going here to win this, okay, we're not going to go and mess about you know, at night and wake up late for practice or wake up late for the games. Spend all your tax like money on a fancy pair of shoes like some people did. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a lot of things that uh, shouldn't be done at SI. And I mm -hmm. feel like wow. that uh, all the top teams, it shouldn't make a difference to. Maybe for the teams that were going there just because, oh, okay, we qualified, let's go. We don't expect anything from this. Maybe it'll make them play better. But I feel like for the top teams, it won't really make too much of a difference. Yeah, is all I totally yeah. think there should be a balance between you know working fun and some teams strive off more of the fun part, like the lower tier ones. But I feel yeah, top teams in the end, like you're there for a reason. And what do you think yeah, about the fact that all true. these teams are based in Europe? Because I know I think a few have already tweeted out about it as well. It's a chance to scrim teams from around the world that you know. Let's not forget we haven't seen an international event in twelve months, right? Like this is going to be. 
The one thing I'm most excited about, and I think I tweeted this, I'm so excited about the clusterfuck of all the different styles that have kind of brewed by themselves in their own regions for the last 12 months. And sure, the meta's changed, whatever. There's going to be some things that I think are really going to surprise people between regions, especially when this is the time to bring it all out. And I guess for you guys, this is the nice benefit we get in Europe. You get to scrim a lot of those teams as they come over here, right? Like, I imagine one or two are probably already lined up, if not several, for when they do arrive. The chance that you then have to yeah, be yeah. in a spot to say, well, now we're going to learn all these cool things from other regions. Like, is that something you think gives a benefit going into, not even so much just EUL, but the rest of the year as well, when it does come around to more international competition? Because you get more exposure to it if you make it into a major, for example. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to help us out a lot. It's going to give us a few more ideas on how we want to play the game or if maybe there's a specific play style that a team has when all like, oh, this kind of nice on this map and we can adapt it this way. And then, yeah, we've already booked a couple of scrims with the teams that are coming over. I think Officer's probably talking to some now as well and booking more. So yeah. it'll be good practice for all of us. Yeah, I feel like definitely it's going to help us because we're that type of team that we can replicate other teams. So... For example, if they bring something against us, like Empire, let's say, you know, we can bring it against them. Their own playstyle, see if they can deal with it. Mm. What do you think, actually? Well, let's talk about the EU teams, because you guys will have screened them, no doubt, all the way through CL and maybe even before that. And of course, Secret do at points too. What do you think of the representation we've got from EU? We'll talk around, let's talk around SI a little bit as a more general chat. So for the longest time i think it's fair to say bds were kind of leagues ahead of many others like many would consider that and then g2 have kind of shown that they're now starting to scratch in the same ballpark at times as well are you at all hopeful for vp and empire or do you think it's kind of a no-go for those two and the only teams you should be uh, thinking okay, about no, no, are no. those top two no bullshit we have the we have four of the best teams in the tournament in eu and uh, that, that's the way that's the reality of it like EU as a region is very, very, very strong. Uh, if you look at Empire traditionally, people would have said, oh, they do the same shit all the time. Nah, not anymore. They do a lot of counter work. They do some clever stuff. They're really adaptable. Same for Vertus Pro. And then you also have G2, who is arguably the best team in the whole world, adaptable play and stuff like this. And then you also have uh, BDS, who is, yeah, like one of the very best teams in the world. Have uh, like, I mean, they just have some of the best players. They have one of the best team atmospheres. They have some of the best teamwork. Everyone can shoot people. There's no one in that team who is who is like a poor, poor player fundamentally or mechanically. So they have every chance. Like all four of those teams have every chance to to win. And yeah, there is other regions who are strong too. But I mean, it's the Invitational. Of course, every single region has strong teams. Even APAC, I, I don't really like APAC that much. I don't really hold no bars about that. But, I mean, Cloud9 is a good team, and Giants are a good team. So it is what it is. Like, any mm. of those teams can win. I'm quite, ex I'm quite excited for Cloud9. Yeah, definitely. I guess the one thing I need to cl uh, clarify that with then, realistically, every team that is going to SI, bar maybe one or two of the teams that came through quals, like whatever, Arguably, every one of the major four teams that qualify from each region are great teams. Otherwise, they wouldn't be going. Like, based on what they've achieved throughout the year, that's why they are where they are, right? It was more the question of, yeah. amongst all of those top 16 teams, where do you kind of position Empire and VP, do you think? Are you saying there should be a top 16, or are you thinking more middle of the pack, or where do they sit in your mind? I think mind? they can be a top 16. I think they can be a top 16, because, like, yes, you have LATAM, which has, like, some very good, aggressive teams. But Empire, they, they love playing against teams like that. So the Vertus Pro. Like, you can't flank against First Pro. Like, it's impossible. They just don't let you. There's things like that you have to think about. And in, in my opinion, I feel like um, both of those teams have every chance of winning. Like, all four of our, our representatives 
can can win in my opinion and then makers as a outsider like they can do pretty well as well you know so if you look at like uh na for example their format was so weird mm-hmm. for like their whole season that it's kind of hard to know who's good and who isn't really i mean you've got the obvious contenders but like that's it <laughs> you know yeah um and those obvious contender teams they're really good and they they can definitely win there's like two or three teams in na i think who could who could win the whole thing but realistically i still think eu is a really strong region and like you said teams haven't played against each other for so long now but the eu league teams obviously we play against each other all the time and i still think this is the strongest region like we don't need to do stupid counterplays and mess around too hard looking at like oh we can ban ash and bring sledge shotgun and piss about like or some of the teams in an air doing we can just clear utility and play as a team like and that's something that like people don't think enough about actually in my my opinion hmm. what about your boy side do you have any thoughts on that as well? well i'm guessing you must watch quite a bit of eul right given you are now about to face a lot of these teams like you must have been watching throughout the year right yeah, I think I, I agree. To be honest, I think all f- four of the teams, well, excluding Emkers, that they have a chance of winning it. I think Emkers, it it just depends on the day for them. To be honest, because their playstyle is so risky. I think they, well, I think they definitely make it out of groups, and but when it gets to like after groups, it's best to freeze, right? Mm. Or is yeah, it yeah. okay? So once it gets to that point and they have to face teams from other regions and even teams from Europe, I think they'll struggle in the best of three against these top-tier teams. Just purely because, if, especially if you're taking a lot of risks, these teams are going to be ready for that. No one's not done like their analysis on your playstyle. They know that MKs are going to be swinging everything they can and pushing aggressive together and taking whatever's free. So it's mm. kind of going to be like, if they're ready for that and MKs can't adapt to, okay, they're just holding everything. We actually need to sit there and clear fully and make sure we're watching our flanks and make sure we're doing this properly then i feel like they'll struggle a lot but the other four teams i think yeah it's possible for any of them to win it it just depends on how they're playing on the day and how eu actually compares to other regions with like their play styles clashing Mm. we'll go into a question at you as a kind of a fun one which is going to be impossible to answer because of the nature of siege it's best of ones all the teams all the regions are coming together for the first time in 12 months which three teams don't make it out of groups in your mind? Wait, I need to look at the teams. No, nah, no, nah, it's totally fair. Totally fair. You can get it up. Also, love, by the way, Fresh, now that he's not on the podcast, he's doing his tax returns, again, laundering money for people. He's now in chat talking shit, saying Amerta's ass must be hurting with all that fence sitting. I'm not sitting on any fence. I just think that we've got the best region, and I think that more than likely one of us will win it. He's in my opinion, I think, I think that NA is is good, but I mean, all of the all of the regions are good. But I got good faith in the EU. So from Group A, I think it's gonna be Phase Inferior, and from Group B, either Oxygen or Altiora. Mm. I actually agree with that, hundred percent. Not gonna lie, that, that's who I'd pick as well. Yeah, they'd go out. Uh, yeah. I don't think Oxygen. To be fair, I agree with Altiora. I think that. Pretty much guaranteed. I think ox- oxygen yeah. just unsta- are just unstable at the minute, right? They feel like. <sighs> okay, so oxygen. Uh, I don't know. This is going to be a bit controversial, but I don't think they're that good, to be honest. Yeah. I think that they. I think they have some nice individual plays, and I think that they can do some like good stuff. But ultimately, I don't. I think that in NA they were the only team out of the others at the bottom that were like not fundamentally bad teams, to be honest. And like I know that that's yeah. maybe a bit <laughs> bit risky to say. 
But ultimately, I think that there was like four very good teams in NA. Well, three maybe very good teams in NA. Then there was two that was like reasonably good and they were Oxygen and EU. In the second um, stage. Yeah. I feel like Oxygen just tried to play a very weird, you know, style that's out of meta, but it's not really working for them. Oxygen have a lot of potential though, in terms of like they like their roster has a lot of experience, they've got a lot of good players. And they can do spicy stuff. Like it's not like they yeah, play style or anything. They can definitely surprise. But I think it's harder at SI because no one really knows what anyone is doing at SI. Everyone will make new stuff for it. And if you can't do anything spicy because you don't know what the other team is doing, you have to fundamentally play better than the other teams. And I'm not sure whether they're like at the same level as some of the other teams in the group. Mm. But I could be completely wrong. It is what it is. Well, this is the nature of SI, right? Again, there's just so many factors at play that it's really hard to say, oh, this is absolutely the way it's going to go. It's only what we know kind of coming into it ahead of time, right? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like, what I'm saying there is like, yeah, they may be one of the teams that I think are like not the greatest at SI, but they are, you know, at the bottom of the best teams in the world, you know, in my opinion. Like, they're still a really solid team. They can still beat anyone. Like, in my opinion, pretty much everyone other than maybe Altiora, because we don't really know what to expect from them, can mm. beat teams at SI. I just think the most experienced and adaptable teams are gonna win it, especially in those best of ones because you know one wrong map pick and you could be out. Yeah. Like yeah, you pick exactly. Cold Mine against Emkers and you're in for one hell of a ride. <laughs> yeah. And I guess there's a next nice little kind of talking point for it that is kind of loosely based on SI, but is more just the current state of Siege as well. How are you guys feeling about the current meta? And I guess this is at all three of you because again, there's different experiences here of going through. Tier 3 up to Tier 1, a team that's been in Tier 1 now for a couple of splits, for example. We've got away from this utility meta that everyone hated for the longest time and are now into a much more loose one. Have we? It's mostly, <laughs> compared to before. We're getting back to it, don't worry. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'd say it's definitely a lot more loose from what I've seen. Like, it's definitely not completely purely gone. There is still Wamai and Jaeger running around on some maps, for example, but it's nowhere near as bad I'm as sorry, it once the, was. The only thing that's changed there is just that people play four nades instead of two. That's it. Mm -hmm. Or some six, as some teams have done in the EU. There you mm -hmm. go. That's that's it. So it's nothing, in my opinion. Like the meta hasn't really changed. The only thing that's changed is that Jaeger is like a lot less good than he was. And I don't think we see anywhere near as really. much Goyo as we used to see. Like nowhere near as much. Well, yeah, because everyone has nades. So do you want to stand behind a, a exactly. bomb or not? Yeah. Then this is what I mean. So you're not staring at the back of shields for half a round, waiting to see what happens next, are you? Ah, uh, you still are. People just play Frost and they play Alibi and they play stupid operators because they got shields. Yeah, up one pick pretty much on either side. This, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, like, it's, it's, no, it's no charge. The second, then, well, once the new season happens and Tachanka and Aruni are allowed in, yeah. it's going back to how it was. Next season's mm. definitely going to be a lot worse if they don't nerf some of the operators. And, like, what, and I would say, like, as much as they've changed some of the utility meta from, like, you know, needing to play Ash and Sophia every round, you don't need to do that strictly anymore. It's still one of the best things you can do in any yeah. lineup pretty much and also so many teams now are just playing like vigil or mozzie mute on every map it's not it's nothing special or fun about that it's just you know you can't drone anything you've got no info someone can sit in a corner and shoot you in the back like that's just is that what competitive siege should be i don't know part of me kind of like the utility meta but also there's just not enough tools to deal with it i just need to kind of see how things progress from here but ultimately i don't think the meta has changed that much it's basically the same like I tweeted about it a couple of days ago, when they nerfed those, you know, the range of dash charges in the Zafia impacts, that's 
one of the worst decisions that's happened in a while because now you cannot clear utility from far away. You need to go yeah. into rooms. Like, yeah. uh, for example, on Oregon, when you push into blue bunker, you cannot clear like mm. C charges when they're on chest level because that's more than two meters. Mm. And that's just ridiculous because now you got a one, four, six nades to clear utility with that. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, there isn't that many operators that have nades. I mean, there is more than there used to be, but it does really limit what you can really bring, to be honest, because you need those. Mm. I remember, you saying, your, I remember you saying your tweet the other day, got going and just thinking, actually, yeah, is that really going to drag us back towards what it used to be when it's actually yeah. a hell of a lot harder to clear out um, utility now? And is that and more just through, is that more through you've had that, or have you seen that kind of impacting quite a lot in scrims as well? No, I had it in the official game against m and Oh, I just yeah. couldn't see one slot headed as well. Like one of the banshees was on the bottom of the tower stairs. So you need to wide swing to get the banshee, and you're dead. And same for the one on the blue bunker door. I, mm. I would say that Melusi is one of the biggest problematic operators in the whole game yeah. right now. There's no sight in the game where taking her is a bad idea, and there's no risk to taking her whatsoever. And she can single handedly win you rounds because it, there's some rounds where you can't push from multiple sides, you can't do that. Like, let's just say, for example, we're looking at Oregon top floor. Late round, you can't just jump in the attic window and push from that side because yeah. there's a fucking banshee there. And then you, 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 everything, not only do you give your position away, but you have to just, you know, basically crawl like a fucking crab to get off of the pit drop, you know? Like, there's no... It does fundamentally change the game in a negative way. I just, I really dislike her. And I think the fact that she has three of our gadget is, like, just outright stupid, to be honest. There's no reason for her to have three. Like at all, we can change whether she's got a fucking angled grip or not, but she shouldn't have two, three of her gadgets. You know, they're just bad. Mm. Yeah, I think it's it stupid. Be lazy as well. Like, oh, I don't need to hold this. We can yeah. block all three entrances with a Malusi device and an ADS. We know before it's, they even hit the site. It makes uh, teams lazy. You know, it hinders fundamentals. Like, you just place the Malusi, you wait for the sound, and you swing instead of like talking. Okay, I'm holding this door. You hold this. You know. Mm. Yeah, just, that's exactly right. Like, I think I think um, some of these things that don't talk and like they don't know what's happening because they don't know how to hold their crosses because Melusi. Uh, like like yellow pings and Melusis and lesions, all of yeah. these things just fundamentally make the game easier for defenders and you know in a way that's like negative, you know. And I would say, like I know that yellow pinging is more of an attacking favored thing, but like you still get yellow pings from cameras. Like right now the best thing you can do on defense really is play with as much information as you can get. You can yellow ping people they don't know. Use it whatever the hell you want. Like it just I don't know. It feels like they in terms of the balance there's a lot of there's a lot of issues. And I think like I said this the other day about Cali, like I said I mentioned that Cali and, and Glass maybe could swap gadgets and that'd be good. But I stand by that because like Cali right now, she solves almost all of the problems there are within the meta, apart from the fact that her gun is literally the worst gun in the game. She is like if you pick Cali, the chances of you winning, unless you have a very specific plan with her, is like almost zero. Like she Are you talking pre-change or post-change now where she can't one shot down without no, anyone? She's she has always been shit. I, like, I disagree. She never. Now she's not good. Her gun now is terrible, but before she actually wasn't too bad. Depend. You have to have an idea of what you want to do with her, but you can't just bring. Oh, bring a Cali and just make it work. But <laughs> I think it's it's not bad that we get some difficult operators because you see like some players that take their time to learn them like really shine. So it's not okay. like everyone can play it. You know. 
Let, let me explain my, my point. I get your point. My, my point is that if Cali had any other gun in their game, people would bring Cali when Thatcher was banned, right? Right now, yeah. no yeah. one will really do that. Most of the teams don't do that. And yeah, it's something that like you can put time into and you can be like, oh yeah, like I could be a, a great Cali player and we can use Cali now, blah, blah, blah. But that's not... that. <laughs> That's not how it should be. Like Cali shouldn't have this like ridiculously high skill ceiling to be able to do to allow you to do basic stuff like open walls and clear utility. Like that should be basics of the game. That should be like the, some of the easiest things that you can do. And that the, the it should be harder for defenders to keep those walls and stuff shut. You know, right now it's not because they just ban the one thing or two things that you can actually use to do that. And then you're in a position where you have to play Cali. And Cali is just worse than bring an extra set of nades. Because I feel like one of the reasons is Kate as well, because you know you put them on yeah. top of the walls and you can't clear them, so taking Kali yeah. is just pointless. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's kind of work around. Kali actually is like like theme park for example. Obviously, we're both teams that play theme park a bit. Theme park, there's so many spots where like if yeah. they just play Kali, then you you can't bring Kali doesn't do anything. It's pointless. Like that is yeah. kind of bad design, but ultimately it is what it is. You just need to make do with the tools that you've been given. All right, let's step back a second, actually, on the Malusi topic, because Rapnock asked the question, chat, and I think it's a fair one. Malusi is not going to get removed from the game. We all know that. She's not going to disappear. What would you do to balance her? Um, with fair mind given to it, it's probably going to completely outrage, outrage the uh, casual community. But what changes would you need to make to her, do you think, to make her a more fair operator? I have an idea. Well, um, I think she should just have two. And I think you should be able to shoot the gadget and turn it off, because yeah. you could still place it in corners where people cannot shoot it, and you force people to have to peak horrible angles to shoot these Malusis, but it means you can't just put one in the middle of nowhere, in the open, like people do right now, that shuts an entire site down. That that would prevent that, and I think that that would make Malusi a little bit more fair. You think you're like kind yeah, of borrowing some ideas from Rooney there and bringing in the whole shoot to enable, shoot to disable sort of thing? Uh, I mean, it could just if you just shoot it, it could disable it for 10 seconds or something. I don't, I don't really care about how long it is, but you should be able to deal with it on attack so that every every single operator should be able to deal with it without triggering it, in my opinion, unless it's in a, a corner where you like have to swing into the door or something. Like being able to melee it is fine, but it's very like most of the time you try to melee it, you just die in the process or you lose the round because of it. Like it, you have to put yeah. yourself in a terrible position to melee it. You know it, that's not how it should be. Mm. I think another idea. I, I agree. She definitely needs to lose one, no matter what the changes are to it. But then it could be that. You know, you go in range, you activate it, it constantly goes off for five, ten seconds, then it's disabled for ten seconds. Right? So mm. okay, we want to push in ten seconds, activate it, wait for it to stop going off, and then you're able to push that door. Or the That'd window. Because I feel like shooting it could kind well, kinda of make it a bit useless, although people have to swing doors to hit it, you know, you have to hit one bullet on it, for example. Whereas at least if you activate it it still helps the defense of, okay, they can't push this for 10 seconds or something. Hmm. So I don't need to watch it for 10 seconds, potentially. We can go and clear this angle while that's happening, and then we can rotate back to hold that once, once yeah. this um, started stop going off for me. When I, when I was thinking about the idea of being able to shoot it, I mean, I felt like you should be able to only shoot it like in the center. And oh, okay. like you could place them on the floor and put holes on the floor so that it would still trigger through. And there's, there'll be situations where you could still play it like that. But what it would do is it would prevent people from just like chucking it on the server rack at the CCTV breach, for example, like these kind of things that are just like 
I don't know, like they can yeah. only do that because you need to waste so much utility to clear it. But like people would be a little bit more conscious of where they play it and it'll be more strategic, like where you put it. You couldn't just stick one on uh, like cash stairs or red stairs, whatever you guys call it, and just like leave it there and expect it to, you know, no one can push that then. Whereas yeah. right now you, you can, like it's kind of dumb. I think it's going to be difficult to balance it because, you know, you remove one and now we got like basically two barbers. So why would you bring her, you know, when you can bring Maestro? Right now she's just barbara replacement, really. Yeah. yeah, she is. I mean, I wouldn't even mind her see, like seeing her have barbed wire too. Like, why not? Like, I, I, like people always say, um, like, you shouldn't give operators more of their gadget. But actually, I quite like seeing Legion with barbed wire. Like, why not? I'd rather that than impacts. Like, I hate the fact that he can impact trick. Like, there's no no reason why he shouldn't. And with Malusi, she can impact trick and she has C4. And I feel like that's one reason why she's picked all the time because no matter what you need, she has it. And if you give her barbed wire, yeah, it makes it much harder for them to push through something, but she's not going to be a hundred percent pick rate anymore, like she is right now. Yeah. Like all close to She's a bit more niche in that case then, right? Because with the C4 or impacts, you can do so much more than just be the one that denies entry into a site. You're kind of multi-rolling in a way. She, right now she's almost like pulse. Like I know this sounds stupid, but like you can put a charge down, you hear someone come and you can C4 and kill them, and you don't even need to have anyone on a camera or anything. Like she basically has three bulletproof cameras you don't even need to control. And it gives mm. you like pretty much the same info that you need for like plant denial and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And you can lose rounds if you don't clear them, basically. Yeah, literally. There's so many rounds where a team has to make a decision. It's like 30 seconds left on the clock. Okay, are we going to try and like bait this utility out or are we going to just have to push through the site and play for kills? Medusi makes that not a choice. Like you don't have the choice. If you try to push through, then you're probably going to lose. Like, and I think that's fundamentally like bad design, actually. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, it could be like you later have three, but they deactivate when Melusi dies. So yeah. you force an to play. Uh, yeah, not a bad idea, to be fair. Hmm. Or even a proximity thing. She has to be nearby for it. Proximity maybe would be quite nice. I don't know, but there's a lot of things that they there's could There's a lot of things they could do, right? Yeah. They just yeah, need to do like something. It doesn't really matter what it is. Anything that they choose to do is better than how she is right now. Mm. You know, I'm always excited to hear what like, we have all these discussions that kind of go on coming into each year. And the thing is, someone even did a diagram which just shows it all out, right? Like, we get settled into a meta. Like, SI shows some stuff. Everyone kind of gets settled into it. It becomes a thing for a while. Make a couple of changes to get away from it, but ultimately still come into SI a bit pissed off these things exist. Developer panel happens. People get giga excited about the next year. Oh, loads is going to change. It's going to be wicked. Then you kind of go on the path of getting frustrated for the next year about changes, and that cycle does go on year after year after. I've seen, I've only been in the game really now for two, two and a half years, but that has been the cycle in both years so far. It feels like it's always been that way, though. It's exactly, yeah. Way. Like I remember back in um, year one when like Blackbeard launched, and everyone was like, "This is just like a complete joke that he's in the game," and this was like the second season, you know. And then Capital came out and he was like literally God. He had nades and smokes and fires and everything. <laughs> His guns are insane. Um, and it's like, they always release like powerful operators, but when they don't release powerful operators, nobody wants to play them. And I feel like it's better sometimes for an operator to come out and be on the verge of being a bit too strong and tweakable than come out and be terrible. Like Warden, for example, is like, only seeing very, very like fringe play. When a team is very sick and tired of getting play. flashed, they bring him out. That seems like the only time I ever see him. But he's not even that good at dealing with that. Like, yeah, he can, but it's he's the you only know, guy who can do it. Yeah. I listen to Intero, like from a marketing perspective, it makes sense. You know, it's going to sell more, but 
issue is that they don't spend that uh, quarantine period to nerf the operators. No, that's so right. Yeah, they don't up, change anything. So it ends up yeah. the operator being broken for nine months instead of for maybe a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I do feel a little bit like um, they should be quick to quarantine stuff again. So like Wamai, for example, I always felt like he should have just been quarantined when he released because the problem, like everyone was saying, oh, Goyo was a problem with Free Shields, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, Free Shields on Goyo was a problem, but the real problem was Wamai, and he's definitely the reason why uh, like the 22nd meta happened. There's no doubt about it. Like he, he was like the key component of the 22nd meta, and he hasn't really been changed that much. I mean, he's lost a shield and he's lost some of his, like one of his gadgets, I think. I can't remember how many he lost, but I think it's one. Um, and Jaeger has like been basically redesigned from the ground up to be almost useless in some cases. Like teams right now play Jaeger because they have to. Like if you don't play Jaeger, you get naded and you can't win. Like defenders can't just sit in a corner; they get naded. So you have to bring Jaeger. Like that's basically it. And it does. I think the Jaeger nerf did change fundamentally how teams set set up in a good way, but ultimately it runs the risk of just being negative. Like we we scrimmed a lot of teams. Um, when the TTS was up with the Jaeger change, and some teams didn't want to play TTS, so we would just ban Jaeger, and we just run around with Jaeger banned, and while well, I was banned, and like, do you just play Ying and Six Nades? What the fuck could you play anything else? Do you need to open walls? Nah, definitely not. Who cares? What do you need yeah. to open walls for? Oh, if you want to open the wall, <laughs> Ying Ying can open it for you. Who the fuck cares? Like, it just seems so stupid, but like, that's the reality. If you don't have something like Jaeger, you're going to be blind 24 7, or you're going to get grenaded 24 7. So, like, yeah, I don't know. I feel a little bit like no matter what they bring to the game now, there's always some like power creep of how things combine with other things. Mm. That's the hard part, right? It's a different issue that really got ignored because of the utility meta, because, you know, she got buffed last, uh, last year in May. I remember an outreach like before a Challenger League game where they gave her four candelas and three smokes. Yeah. So two smokes. Yeah, that's when we were in Challenger League. Yeah, so you couldn't really use her until now because of the utility meta. And you know, that's kind of a different issue that really got forgotten. And now it's coming to coming back, basically. We played her in Challenger League and so did a few other teams. And she was very, very, very strong. Ying was very strong even when the utility meta was in full swing. Um, but yeah, I just feel like right now there's, there's like three things that you can do, right? You can bring all the stuff to deal with the utility. You can try and abuse Ying or you can abuse nades or you can abuse smokes and play glass. That's it. That's all attack really is, I guess. Mm. Like, oh, I don't know about glass, to be fair. <laughs> Adam? I don't know about glass. You like glass. Glass is very good. Yeah, he's not used to Go on, Gorg. Like... Tell him he's a fucking idiot and tell him he's wrong and tell us why. Well, I'm telling you at least for us. I tried it. It's not my best operator. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it, the thing is, is like he's very similar to like Kali in the respect that you need to play him a lot, I think, to be like good with him. But when you think about like what Glaz allows you to do, it's fundamentally broken. You basically get wall hacks and other people can't do anything. You know, like you fill a room with smoke, they can't do anything, they can't see you. The only person who can is Warden, and he's like not the best you know like i don't know it does make like a 5v5 situation become kind of like a 1v1 against warden and glass and then from that moment on whoever wins it it kind of has the advantage so glass i think is like quite strong in some some ways 
Fair like you can just push with Glaz through the smoke and shoot people and they can't fight back really. Yeah, I think if you have a plan with Glaz, he can be good, but it's still kind of, I don't know, it seems still a bit weak to me. Yeah. But I guess if a team is really set on using it and coordinated with it, you can make it work. Have you guys ever scrimmed, um, oh, I'm trying to think what his name is. Be kind. Uh, Walker -o. Be oh. kind, yeah, like, like uh, Walker -o, who, uh, Walker -o? Uh, Walker -o. But it's like the old B kind. These yeah, the old B kind. They were like a nightmare to play against because they would just abuse Glass like twenty four seven. It didn't really matter what you did. Glass was out. Yeah, and uh, like you have to admit that no matter what you had planned, sometimes you you couldn't do your plan because you had to play to their plan, which was oh, yeah. smoked no. and beat you. Yeah. So these guys were definitely uh, the only team I probably faced that actually run Glass and yeah. are actually good at it. Yeah. So there and is there is none of that. But it's kind of like, oh, if you're really good with Glass and the team bans it. Yeah, know. I mean, uh, they, they kicked that fire and then won no games apart from yeah. against fucking Mickey and the boys. Like, so it's what it is. <laughs> they should have yeah. kept that guy. He was the best thing. Honestly. I think most of the good teams would just, you know, try to uh, not let you execute or set up. So they're just. AFK and play to... C4s. No, no, no. Yeah. They would just try to play aggressive like Spawn Peak or uh, punish the attackers early. Like they wouldn't give you the map control to set up for the glass, basically. Where it's yeah, like, yeah. if you're taking, she's always good. You know, it doesn't matter if you roam clear, if you execute, you can always make her work. So I, I just, you know, that's my opinion. I don't oh, agree with you about the glass. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I've got to ask you actually about one change that is coming in. Uh, the change to book that we're seeing coming through. What are you thinking? Yeah. Because the thing is, I yeah, remember when I first spoke to you, you loved Buck, and then you stopped playing him for the longest time, and the boys had you on sledge nearly every single game. Was that because you boys needed the nades, or was it a conscious choice? Yeah, I'm sorry, Gorgona has got two Gs in his name, because he gets two kills every round with grenades, that's it. That's literally <laughs> Gorgona's party trick, his nades. So, and that has been forever. Like, back in, like, when you were trying to qualify for Prem, we were qualifying for, trying to qualify for Prem at the same time. I remember you played in a team with Raiden, and it was literally just nades, 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 right. nades. All the oh, time, ages ago. This is like three years ago, a long ass time ago now. Wait, 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 wait who did you say? And no, no, Raiden. Yeah, he was. He was. No. This was a very long time ago. He was. This is pre Fabian's Academy. I think we you're played. mistaken because before no. that, I think I played with Tristan's team. Yes, that is. No, you didn't. You played for Tristan's team, and then after that, played with uh, in oh. one qualifier with those. Oh, yeah, I remember. I'm not right. 100% right. I know about it. Mate, trust me, there's a reason why. I'm always like, this guy fucking loves nazis because he'll never forget them old days. It's yeah. Raiden and I got to ride from, you oh. know, the coach from... Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah fresh. <laughs> I am trying to tell this guy who he teamed with, and I was actually fucking right, and he forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember, didn't it? I thought you said, like, uh, wide, like our ex-coach, not no, uh, Raiden. No, Raiden, or whatever his name is, the Italian guy who played, like, yeah. fucking Thatcher all the time. God, do you remember that type of stuff? Yeah. <laughs> I still man now. Apparently fucking so, yeah. Actually, what's quite funny is, like, back then, we had uh, Boogie and Kizza on our team, and I remember, like, you guys just kept planting concrete, right, and border, like, you know, in, in uh, archives. Yeah. And, I, like, after the game, I just went to a custom game, I was like, can you not smoke concrete? He's like, you can. And I was like, you 100% can smoke concrete, Kizza. Like, you definitely can. He was like adamant that you couldn't, and that's how he ended up getting kicked. Actually, just because he <laughs> like, just refused to learn how to smoke concrete. Amazing. <laughs> but yeah, back to the original point, Buck and uh, the changes. What do you think? Uh, I think we'll definitely see a lot more play 
maybe even like dropping the book as not the book sorry the sledge and run the book over him because like a lot of teams run ash though so you already have the explosives so you know uh, he has no what turkey wants skeleton key ammo like that's a lot you know you can at least from my experience entry you know waste some of the skeleton key for you know walls you don't need to open like for example on cafe they're roamers, you can open reading walls, you know, you can open maybe the cigar hatch and you still have left for, like, for kitchen and for freezer. It's definitely really good. I see. I like the hard reach gadget on him as well. Mm. I, I actually thought that. for the longest time that that was shit. And then obviously it's been changed a little <laughs> bit now where it goes up a little bit quicker. And a couple of teams have been using it in little odd places here and there. Not consistently. But on maps like Coast, I think, where there's the occasional hatch that you do want to get opened up, it does seem to be kind of creeping its way back in every now and then. Well, then. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what do you guys think, think of the hard breach gadget? Yeah, even, I mean, with the changes now, even better, obviously, right? Yeah, I think it's, it's okay. It's, it's not great. It's not like you can necessarily replace a hard breach with it, I don't think, anyway. It's just like, if you have, again, at the moment, you kind of have a spare op. So if you want to bring... A zero, for example, and give him a hard breach gadget to maybe drop a hatch somewhere else late round or use it to clear a certain position. You know, you can use it for yeah. that, but you still need to bring a hard breach alongside them, if not two. I think uh, the most common like use I've seen at least is some consulate basement where you run, you know, your three soft breaches, you run a termite or race, you know, one hard breacher and the flex pick is like zero capy or maybe even a yink with a hard breach gadget and you do a full clear and you open the kitchen hatch and the main bridge so they can't really play anything if they give you all the map control. Yeah, I think the yink is really strong. Like you said that you can't really replace a uh, like a primary hard breacher but to some extent sometimes you could like you could run multiple like if you were to play like yink and capital for example together then you've got so much utility there. You're not really losing that much. You lose some destructibility, um, but... Yeah, I think possible. it depends what you want to do and on the map, and you definitely have to line your bands up so you're able to do that. Because if you have a one-my Jaeger open and you're bringing two hard breach gadgets on a certain operator, they're going to be able to just stack the utility most likely, or you're not going to have yeah, enough explosives. You're definitely yeah. missing out on something. So, I, mean, I'm, just... like, I remember like um, there was a scrim we played ages and ages and ages and ages ago against uh, it was Chaos, I think, and we just decided that we wanted to practice the monty this was before we started playing monty and we just picked up pack and we just played uh, three harbridge gadgets instead of a harbridge around cafe and just played monty capital and ying and it was actually really really powerful really strong you go for something like a direct bakery take with that then do you know what i mean it doesn't really matter what they do like what can they realistically do yeah i it mean it's just so stupid that when you think of it like that like some of the operators that have the harbridge gadgets like they are actually nuts if you put them all together in like some horrible meta bash formation it's like you know? frankenstein's like, really monster of siege comps by the sounds of it yeah but there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of maps where you only need to open like one wall for example and it's like there's no reason why you couldn't do that so yeah i don't know i think i think there is room to do stuff with harbridge gadget but just right now it's less good than it it, it could be yeah we tried it i think this was maybe during yeah this was during our like qualifying for cl we yeah, was trying uh, yeah, against Emkers, we tried to run a Monty Ying hard breach gadget on Clubhouse and then run one hard breacher on top of that. I don't know if that's like, I think on the hard, I think Clubhouse is the one map where like you need as much double hard breach as you realistically yeah. could bring. 
but I do feel like um, you could do some nice stuff with Buck Harbridge, for example, now on the... Yeah, I think it's nice. I think that'd be quite nice. Well, Tom, what's up? I'm sure you guys will be concocting all kinds of weird stuff ahead of EUL. And I guess we can transition onto that quite nicely. Obviously, yes, everyone knows now you're in EUL. What are your expectations coming into that first stage? Because, I mean, you've probably got some nice advice you can pass on here, some friendly words of wisdom for arrival. What was your experience, Steph, like when you first came up as well? Like seeing how it was and see how compared to EUL, what were the biggest things that surprised you when you first jumped up? Uh, every team is good. No uh, shit, there's no free just, wins. You, nope. And I know that that sounds obvious, but like in Challenge League, there is free wins, like literal free wins. And yep. there's some teams who just can't adapt, they can't change, they can't do this, they can't do that. And it's so easy to just find a gap and be like, oh yeah, we can just do this. Or they always set up this way and we can just run and come from that way. But in EU League, you can't really do that. Not as efficiently as you can in like the other leagues. And also mm. teams adapt so fast. Like you could have a perfectly good plan of how you'll beat them. You start to do that plan for one round and then boom, they've changed and every plan that you have for every other site will not work now. So there's, it is hard. EU League is definitely, uh, I don't know, it's definitely a different, different league, <laughs> you know, to, to like Challenge League. Ima imagine. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know it sounds really stupid because the level of competition in EU is really high, even in tier three. But when you, you have to remember that every team here has got like great staff and every team is working really hard to beat you and they just win, they, you know, they just want to win the games in front of them. Everyone is looking at everything they can do to beat you. So it's kind of hard to kind of outsmart teams in the E-League. What about expectations for you pair coming into it as well? Like, you, obviously you're excited about it, but what are you thinking about that first split? Have you got those kind of high expectations of saying, well, we want a top four finish and we're confident we can do it because we're that good? Or are you more kind of tempered and saying, well, we obviously want to win, but we know it's going to be kind of a stage of adaptation first? Um, I mean, we're, we're always a confident team. Uh, we know it's definitely going to be hard and we're actually going to have to prove ourselves and up our game in every aspect of how we play uh, our mental how much we're practicing so it's definitely gonna be hard but i don't see why we couldn't aim for a top four finish i think that would be our aim definitely from uh, the first split i think a top four finish is what every team wants in the league yeah and i think the top four finish is a lot harder to achieve than everybody thinks because mm -hmm. <laughs> there's just so many good teams honestly so many good teams and you have to really be a super strong team you can't just like look ahead in this opponent and go like so for example we scrimmed temper a lot before eu league and empire the second split and because we knew we were playing them towards the end and to our in our minds they were a little bit like free wins because when we were playing them they were just bad there's no way to say it they were both in big slumps they're both playing really bad and then we played them in the EU league and they like they had so many nice plans and they did really good stuff against us and like we just lost big time to both of those teams like mm. both but, times but yeah. I feel like we have to you know come and see because just you league teams in official games are a different kind of breed yeah it's just like it's not like scrims you know mm -hmm. nope obviously you can i say this all the fucking time I, I'll, I'll never rely on like scrim form to suggest how someone's going to do an official because some players are just completely different when it comes to an official game compared to scrims sadly i mean we never really judge anything by scrims in terms of like how teams are playing, but in those cases we did because we played them and they were like unable to win anything. Like we were just gunning them and everything, and like strategically they weren't doing anything special. And then Temper was like the complete opposite in EU League. They like went to boot camp and suddenly they were like gods. You know, they just won every gunfight. They had so much prep work. 
and they're playing really good. So there's some teams who, when you play against them, they're obviously like in scrims and stuff, they have no prep. They're not going to prep. They're going to hide stuff from you. They're going to play fundamentally differently. And then when you play them in the official, they're like a whole other animal, you know? It's like really, really tough. And it's easy sometimes to fall into traps without even realizing, you know? Mm. Yeah. E-League is, is very tough. That's the one thing I think that like all the new teams that come up struggle with. And it doesn't matter how good your team is or how much experience they have. There's definitely an opportunity where you could lose every single match and be like rogue. Like you can go from the top to the bottom immediately and nothing, you know, not nothing you're doing that's wrong. The other teams are just picking it up. And then when you start to lose a few games, fuck me, it's hard to get back on track again. You have to be right at the bottom before you can get back on track sometimes. It's hard. The mm. E-League is, is a tough league. Really From experience, you, can, you should never, you know, underestimate or doubt anyone. You know, every game is losable and winnable. Yeah. All the, all the way from you can, you know, even tier three teams can smack you. Yeah. I aim wise, you know, imagine tier one teams. Mm -hmm. it's, no game is a free game. The thing mm. is, like, one thing that we found hard was in Challenger League, we were, like, actually doing really good. We were beating basically all the teams. We won the majority of our games. We were looking really, really solid. And we didn't really know what it was like to lose a few games in a row because it hadn't happened to us. And it's a bit like that for you boys. You haven't really yeah. lost any games. You guys have won, 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 won. When you start to lose, fuck me, that's hard. That's painful, you know, because you, yep. you're doing nothing different than you normally do. And before everything was working, you know, so it's hard. You have to rethink things. But I think that, I think that like, Kavana have a, a good opportunity in the E-League. I think that they're, like, one of the teams who could challenge the top four. Yeah. But then again, yeah, pretty much all teams are aiming for that, you know. And it looks like, in a way, like that's part of the focus for you guys is making sure you're as geared as possible because I saw the post earlier on from Officer that you guys are after a strategic coach, right? Was that kind of a team call or is that something that he's just said, now? Nah, I think we need that and he's putting it in place regardless? Or did you as a team come to that consensus of, we want to bring this person on board? Uh, yeah, we came to that as a team because at the moment, although Officer's really good at what he does, he's not a strategic coach, yeah. right? So all of our strats, all of our, how we want to attack, how we, what we want to do against this team, we're mainly using Deville's info, he's our analyst, and then us as a team are building these strats and coming up with what we want to do. And I feel like going into uh, E-League, as Amerto was saying, we need to actually be more prepared and actually have someone that's able to look at these teams, understand what they're doing and understand how we're going to be able to kind of combat that rather than hmm. us five sitting there doing that together, then going to scrim uh, twice a day and then burning ourselves out before we even get a chance to play. So yeah. it kind of takes a bit of weight off of us. And then I was, was going to say, this, 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 might, this might be a little bit of a wonky question in a way, but like, I think there's a, there's a thing in esports, not just in, in Siege, but in most games where me and Amurta spoke about this quite a few times about player-led organizations where they, it's you know very much in the hands of the players what happens. You're in a spot at the minute where you guys have control over what you're going to do. Like Histoth wants to say, I think this is the play that we make. He can make that play as long as you guys all generally agree. Do you not think it will feel slightly strange handing over that kind of control of what a strat is, who's going to be doing what role, where you're going to play to a coach that's coming in? Like, I know it's very easy to sit there and go, well, of course um, not, no, we'll be fine with it. But it is a challenge that some players have is in terms of giving over control to somebody else and almost being a pawn in their game. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be weird because uh, like for now it's been really mainly me and Anna making the strats because we know how, you know, everyone plays from the team. You know what they like what operators you know positions etc how we're gonna make it work together mm. so i think first couple of weeks are definitely going to be a bit off you know with the new strat coach especially if you lose that's when i think there can be real yeah. friction yeah i think I mean, to be... yeah go ahead 
what I was going to say is I think like what, what Gorgon said is right, but it's the coach's challenge to to learn the team fast and understand the strengths and the weaknesses. Ultimately, every team will want to play to its strengths. It doesn't matter if you spot a great opportunity where you can play Ying and Glaz. If you can't play Glaz, it's not an opportunity, is it? You know, And that's, yeah. that's the real challenge. Interesting yep. angle. I, I yeah. agree with that. I'm hoping it goes well, obviously. Like, I think it's a really cool thing when you start getting backroom staff built up and you're all geared in the same direction and running the same way. And I think the one thing I'm keen to see is, you know, ultimately, Officer kind of sits there as that, the, the dad of the team in a way. Like, like you said yourself, he's not really a strategy coach, is he? But he's the guy who kind of sits there and keeps you on the same page, keeps you motivated. Or at least that's what it looks like. And I guess that's another good question. You said he's not a strategy coach. Like, what does Officer do in the team? What is his main responsibility as coach? Because these days, the title of coach is so flexible. Like now that, of course, he's got strategy coaches, the role that he's looking to bring in, there are various types of coaches. So what does he do in the team? Well, the main yeah, thing he does is he stops me and Slot from fighting because, you know, I get mad at Slot because he does stupid shit like peeking windows and gives away the advantage in the first 10 seconds. So, yeah, <laughs> that's been really helpful. <laughs> he's yeah, he stopped I mean, you being so toxic. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, after you can, we basically got rid of Ride, who was a fairly good strategic coach but the kind of mental in the team was not good like the way we was handling certain situations and how we was preparing for games and going into it it just wasn't at a level that it should be so we got officer in and he kind of helped us build as a team because we were looking for kayak at the same time as we got officer and then from that they kind of fixed our mental, keeps us in a good mental state going into games. I mean, he kind of was like teaching us the importance of, you know, kind of taking a break sometimes from playing, uh, which he pretty much had to beg us to do. We pretty much refused to him to take a single day off while we was playing. So we came to like an agreement of, we'd like do one scrim on a Saturday afternoon until like five o'clock or something. And then the next day we wouldn't start until seven. And then that was our 24 hours off, pretty much. Mm. So it's I kind think of it, like, if he wasn't there, we wasn't taking a single break. And I think it would have definitely hurt us a lot more. You're burned doing that for sure. Yeah. And I guess that's a really yeah. good question because I think, I think it was started tweeting this. It might be one of you guys. You guys have had four days off since like September 4th or 7th or something like that. What the fuck is that all about? <laughs> got to get grinding. Got to grind, bro. Got to grind, bro. Yeah. I'd like, we were basically, because... We didn't want to take days off, and officer kind of forced us to take one day off or like a 24-hour window off. We just wanted to, you know, everyone in the team wanted to get to the level we're at. You know, we weren't expected to even qualify for CL. Then we qualified for it, and then I don't. I think most people at the start didn't expect anything from us. You know, Anarchic didn't want to play the CL course. He thought we wouldn't make it. It would be a waste of time. (laughs) So of course, I had to convince him. You know, I'm very generous. I mean, that's that's not how it went. It, it kind of did, but then we got Kayak, and then again after that first scrim, I was like, okay, we should definitely play it. But it was kind of, we were trialing people, and then one week we kind of trialed someone during a qualifier, and it was probably the worst thing we ever did, especially like looking for an IGL role. And then it was kind of like, okay, we I think we skipped like the next one. And then once we trialed Kayak, it was like, okay, yeah, we're, we're playing with him during this. Who was the first trial? Qualifier. The first one? Uh... I think we trailed at some point the expo from your team. Ah, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Fair enough. I don't, I don't remember. Who else did we trail? Uh, the one we played with during the qualifier was one of Sloth friends. 
And was it Boisian? Yeah. And like he's a good player, but he's he's definitely not an IGL. If it's Sloth, mate, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And uh, no, I think finding an IGL in general is very hard. I think that there's not all that many actually that are like really good. Like there's people who know how to call like what to do at the start of a round or something, but there's not that many that know how to like call adaption and like keep a cool head and keep everybody motivated and working in the same direction. There's not many in the game that can really do that stuff. But Kayak's definitely one of them. I'm just doing a good job. Yeah, we got we got very lucky to find Kayak. The missing piece of the puzzle. <laughs> the piece the piece that got his tweet you out as well which is always a, a glorious thing i guess okay well let's take it a bit more loose as well is there anything that you guys want to talk about or get off your chest or share about kavana because ultimately you know, this is a really good chance for everyone to get your story out or anything that you guys feel should be known as well uh i think well this is kind of known but i think one of the main things is just kavana as an organization i think when we started with them like they, I think it's when we beat Secret as Burning Foxes. There, at this point, we were kind of leaving Burning Foxes, and then Neo, who's the CEO of uh, Koana, basically messaged us and said, "Oh, are you guys looking for a team?" We joined them when they had like fifty followers or something, and just, had just started, and then they managed to like grow us, take us out to a boot camp, you know, just for UK finals, which is crazy. Even though we didn't bit. do well in it, you know, after that point, even th this was before we even made CL, they offered us uh, like full time pay. Yeah. Just to and play in tier three. They bought as well new graphics cards. Yeah, they bought Sloth new graphics cards. They bought Nathan new PC. They're just, they're actually really, yeah. really invested in us as players, which is nice considering every org before pretty much wouldn't even, I think. I'm not going to name which one it was, but one of them had to pay us like £50 for a season of uh, Prem. Didn't even pay it. So it's kind of like, you know, when there's all <laughs> like that. I know which one that one is. <laughs> and it's I'm like, <laughs> you know, for the sake of £50 and you can't, I, I don't know. And then you go to an org like that, it's kind of like... Uh, not in day. They're not in the game anymore, that org though, to be fair. So no. it's understandable, isn't it? <laughs> I am. I'm always. I'm always so curious about the business side of like esports as well. And like, I think something I was half talking to Steph about before we jumped on the show was like, you know, for Kavana, like even given like PC salaries, all that kind of stuff when you're in tier three, when EUL wasn't even a conversation, when Challenger League was still a maybe. To put that much money in, I, I, I would honestly love to understand from their CEO like where they see the big ROI coming from. Because if it does pay off big like it has now, great. But what if we were sat in this spot now, six months on? From Yukin and you were still a tier three, tier four team. Then what? Yeah, uh, they would have, uh, you know, they would have been glad to support us for another year, even if we were still in Yukin. They just want to, you know, grow in the scene, develop a name. I mean, and, this is you know, a great way to develop a name yeah. is by going into EUL. To be yeah. fair, Christ. I mean, they said to us, we had so after Yukin when we were at the bootcamp, they turned around and said to us, "Oh, we'll we'll sort you guys out to be able to play full time." And then they said, don't worry about this Challenge League season because the qualifiers were like less than a month away, I think, or two weeks or something ridiculous. There's like, we're going to keep you until the next one. And then that's when we want you guys to prove yourself. So it's like, at the moment, we're way ahead of where they wanted us to be. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's good for, definitely good for us that we've been able to get to this level. And then it's also good for them seeing 
their kind of investment payoff. God, yeah. A lot earlier than they expected as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they guaranteed you basically a year of Pro League now. Yeah, exactly. That's a big deal. That's, that's great for them for like growing the, the org as well. Yeah, I mean, they've, again, since we joined them, which I think they started less than a year ago, they've grown to, I think, like 5k followers, maybe something like that, which is uh, mid, pretty mid good. March around that. Yeah. So they're only going to grow bigger. Mm, there's also a little HQ they've got set up as well, and all the marks did around that. It's really sick. Well, that's yeah, the nice thing about it. I think you're seeing nice that because, there. like, we've got, like, there are a lot of still shit orgs in Siege where they're like tier four, it's Billy No Mates and his dog setting up an org with three Twitter followers, signing up teams at that sort of level. And there's just all kinds of shit that goes on. And maybe it's because I follow so many people in like tier four UK, but I see the shit all the time. And then when you hear the nice story of an org actually supporting players and doing really well for them, I'm just like, wicked good. Because that's the story that you want to build about esports or about an esports scene in general. Is that there are people that give a shit and there are really good orgs all starting to invest in this and seeing success in there rather than it just being a cesspool because that's what it is sometimes. Yeah. yeah. You know, at boot camp, uh, the managers literally took care of us like we were their children. We would scream yeah, and, and they would, uh, you know, cook us pizza, uh, fucking not chop it, but like, you know, slice it. Basically. Oh really? And, yeah. <laughs> the proper sort yeah, like of they stood there feeding sloth pizza like <laughs> <laughs> No, honestly they were cooking us meals every day. We were going out yeah. for food. They were driving us like to and from uh, the boot camp. And it is uh They yeah, took us to the um, amusement park of the city and like they let us go on some of the rides, they let us, you know, shoot with these fake guns for prizes. Oh, they bought us <laughs> ice cream, they bought us everything pretty much. How weird is it as a young 20-something-year-old that sat there playing video games to then be in that, that kind of position where you're basically being treated like royalty or as a celebrity? Yeah, definitely like royalty. It's fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> I think in, in a strange way, the one thing I think that hurts a lot of players as they kind of develop, I think, is the kind of development of ego where it's like, you know what, yeah, I am good at this game. And I deserve all this shit. Give it to me. But I think staying humble along that journey and kind of like acknowledging that these things, like you're in a very lucky position being honest, right? Like there's what? In EU, 50 players in your position, being a top team, like sat at this top level, receiving the kind of being paid to play a video game that you initially started playing for a bit of fun. Like, it's incredible, right? And I think like, it's one, it's one lesson that I think a lot in kind of like tier three. And again, I can't really speak for everyone. I'm not some kind of expert on how players should react to stuff. Everyone's got different situations, but especially in tier three, there are some players that really think there's something special. And it's like, fuck everyone else. I know I'm the bollocks. I should be far better than this. I should be in a better team, yada, yada. And that humbleness, I think, when things do turn to shit, like when you go on the losing streak that Omerta referred to earlier on, they're the kind of things that really ground people and go, okay, we know we're in a really good spot here. We know we can still work this around rather than being like, oh, fuck these guys. I'm better than them like, anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a funny story. There's people that are in like tier three now, some even tier four that have messaged people on, on the team to take my spot pretty much. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's always people with... Uh, very large egos that are willing to, you know, risk it all. Yep. For a little bit of clout. I mean, when are we taking Anna? Why is he still on the team? Yeah. All I'm going to say is that EU League, Siege GG, they might not be your friends, Anna. <laughs> they <laughs> might not be your friends. Um, like, in the same, same respect, like, you know, we, you know, Expo, I think, it obviously had a very tough time 
with us. Like he he did really good with us in Challenger League, and he was actually like a really good IGL. He was actually like winning so many gunfights. He had a great Challenger League season. Went to EU League, and then he just really struggled. Like it was hard. Like we went into that with like very little guidance, really. Like for a lot of us, it was like our first time in in like tier one, and uh, it gets hard. You know, when you start to lose, like you sometimes like you lose faith in. Uh, other players or you lose faith in your own ability and like it becomes very tough and mm. uh what no player wants to be is in that bottom section of players for the league because you get there and then getting back from there is very tough for for every player it doesn't matter whether you're the best player in the world or you're a player who previously was best player in the world or you're a player who's brand new if you're at the bottom nobody will say anything nice about you you know it's really tough yeah so i feel I... a little bit like um uh like all these people who will say to you stuff like oh yeah you know let's like, get get me on the team you know I'm better or whatever like they would all be at the bottom and they would all have a very hard time coming back you know like you guys have a good team bond and you've got good teamwork and that's like the strength of your team you don't have like fundamentally the best players in the EU league but you'll win games because you're a strong team and you can't like fuck around with that element of a team because when you change things it becomes much harder to win sometimes you can upgrade a player statistically by like, you know, 10% or something maybe, but it doesn't mean you have 10% more likelihood of winning rounds or games, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think, again, as long as, I think it kind of depends. As long as we're winning it's, or doing okay during the first split, I don't think I would care too much personally if I was one of the worst rated players. Of course, I'd be like, oh man. I need to actually improve better myself. But it's kind of like, if the team's actually doing well, then something's right, you know? Yeah, that's it's right. Not, it's, I think it's if, oh, we're dead last, we haven't won a game, I'm going negative 40 or something ridiculous, then it's like, okay, there's clearly a problem. <laughs> if I'm negative 40 and we're first, it's kind of like, well, something's happening, you know? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you it's... can't have every player shine, you know? You can't have everyone play like Shaiko or like Citizen. Like with a 1.5 1.6 rating going mm. positive every game yeah, someone has to take their card shots from the for the team yeah also yeah. i'd say there's always has to be one person on the team who has all the shit jobs and yeah. uh the person who has all the shit jobs he's not going to get any stats in ccg like you basically don't get them like you you get like kills if everyone else is dead <laughs> and they've left you in a situation where it is actually winnable you know which doesn't happen all that often yeah um and you also have you know like like stuff like cost you don't get cost for opening a wall for hard breach you don't get cost for trying to plant the bomb and getting c4 you know yeah. like you don't get cost for any of those things so i don't know it's tough you don't get cost for for call outs or and if you're like igl work so it is tough i do feel like being an igl in in siege is hard job anyway but I think it's very easy to point fingers at IGLs and be like, oh, they're bad, or this player is much better. Like, all you have to do is watch SSG play, like one map. Canadian will be towards the bottom half of the uh, like the leaderboard, and everyone in the chat is like, oh, he's so shit, change him. Like, he's one of the best players. You touch the game. Like, why would you want to change him, you know? Mm. It's just so dumb. It reminds me of every yeah. time someone tries just to shit talk Uno, and just all of G2 are just like, yeah, shut the fuck up. You have no idea what he does on this team. Even if his stats, I think statistically most splits are the worst. For G2, like they will always stand behind him in the work that he does, even though the numbers don't show it. I mean, you really don't see a lot of stuff behind the scene. Like, you don't see if Uno, for example, gave four callouts to give Kanto four kills, you know? 
It's just so much yeah. things go under the radar, unappreciated. So it's going to be those shiny players, like, for example, Sloth, that will get more praise for their st statistics. Everyone loves a bit of Sloth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Monkey Kings I've called him now for the last month or so. He's he prayed in that round. He, he, I know he was prayed in that round quite proudly for a while. I saw, yeah, yeah. Um, but before we start wrapping up, I know we're about an hour and a half in now. We always tend to try and keep it to an hour and always fail spectacularly, as the intro said. Is there anything else that you guys want to say or anything else you want to talk about? Or anything maybe you want to ask on your side, Steph? I'm good. I think we covered everything, to be honest. And perfect. All good. Well, gents, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you jumping on to have a chat with us as well. And as I think as Steph said, uh, be prepared because it's going to be tough in the UL. But I think everyone naturally in the UK is really excited to see a second UK I'll go up there and see what you guys can achieve. The hell of a story so far. And I very much so hope it continues for all of you. And I imagine at some point we'll get you back on. We'll have a conversation about it when you're all zero and ten. And uh, Anarchit sat there on plus 40 on CGG stats. Can't wait for the day when actually you turn around and surprise us all. We'll quote this at some point. This conversation we had is saying, oh, <laughs> who cares if you're at the bottom? Time will tell. Um, but that's all for now, though, guys. Thank you very much for watching. For those of you at home as well, while everyone's at home, no one else can really go anywhere. We'll probably be back now post-SI, given that's all about to kick off and there's loads of stuff naturally to go on there. There'll be loads to talk about when it's actually done. Uh, and outside of that, have a wonderful evening and we will speak to you all soon.